Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from Sarah Noel Wilson. Sarah is an executive coach, speaker, and researcher who helps leaders manage real-world conflict, have more meaningful conversations, and create purposeful relationships. Her work has appeared in major outlets like Harvard Business Review, and she hosts a great podcast, Conversations on Conversations. Can you guess what that's about? Her most recent book is Don't Feed the Elephants, Overcoming the Art of Avoidance to Build Powerful Partnerships. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that the cost of avoiding the conversations we need to have is more significant than we realize. And if we think about this through an organizational lens and psychological safety, a culture of avoidance can be as harmful or even more harmful, I think, than a culture of aggression. That's what I wish people knew. So I'm looking at the cover of your book and wondering... (laughs) about the title. I once tried to feed an elephant and it didn't go very well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Can you tell us more about the metaphor? Yeah, no, I mean, we're not actually suggesting don't feed elephants and starve them. It, it's, you know, it's based off of the very Western metaphor that's been around since about the forties, right? The elephant in the room. And, and typically, typically when people think of the elephant in the room, they think of it in terms of sometimes people will say it is as if it's a person like, Oh my God, an elephant in the room. And they're pointing at the manager. They're pointing at the person. And and we we want to reframe that. What I realized in my research and in, in, in trying to overcome my own avoidance, um, because I am a platinum card carrying member of the Conflict Avoidance Club as a good Midwest white woman, um, so I'm very skillful at that, is that the elephant isn't the person. They might be causing conflict. They may be causing um, issues, but the elephant gets created when we avoid um, because if I have an, if you have an issue with me, if I do something that's unproductive or harmful and you call me in and we have a conversation about it, there's no elephant. The conflict didn't disappear, but there's no elephant because we had the conversation. So we're playing on and expanding that metaphor for people to realize the elephant gets invited into the room and is born of our inability to address or acknowledge whether it's with ourselves or with someone else, a barrier to our success. So we're and causing feed the elephant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're causing that elephant to appear. It's almost the result, not the yeah, cause. Exactly. We're carrying around peanuts, right? And that's one of the ways that we play with the metaphor is just like, how do we put down the peanuts? What are the ways in which we're feeding the elephant, right? And and avoiding the conversation we need to have. So let's get right to it. I, I've landed deep inside a conflict and, and, mm. and it is hitting me very, very hard. How can I climb out of that conflict in a way that is more hopeful and helpful and not avoid the whole thing altogether. Yeah. The, you know, the, the first place that we start with, we, we have an approach we call the curiosity first approach. And part of the, where that came from was realizing that when people would be in situations and just cause that's how our brain is wired is that we get so focused on the pain or the frustration, right. Or the threat or whatever the case might be. So the first step that I would recommend is getting really curious with yourself from the standpoint of really understanding what the situation is, how you're responding to it, what are the challenges? When we're talking about conflict between people, almost always a conflict is a result of a need that's not being met or a value that's not being honored. 
always, right? Whether it's I don't feel heard, whether it's I have a preference to do it this way and you're doing it this way. And so reframing that and being able to be clearer and what do I need in this moment that I'm not getting or what's actually the root cause of this conflict? Because it's easy for us to just want to blame, like, he's just an idiot and ba da 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 And it's like, yeah, he might be an idiot. That might be true. And what's also true <laughs> is that this conflict is about you don't feel heard. And so that act of getting curious with ourselves first does a couple of things. Curiosity, if we can tap into that, can start to calm down that flooded brain and help us think more logically and, and, and assess the situation differently. It helps us to be able to more clarify, again, what do we need so that if I'm going to have a conversation with you, it's going to be a much more effective conversation because I can be explicit. The other thing is sometimes you can realize that maybe there's things you're doing to contribute to it. Like, how did I contribute to this conflict? Um, what am I doing or not doing? That might be playing a role. Um, so getting curious with yourself and then, and then depending on the situation, and I always put this big asterisk of like, it depends. I'm getting curious about the other person. What's going on in their world? What do they need? What is, you know, what do I know that's a value of theirs? I can't tell you how many times I was in conflict and just taking the step back to say, okay, I know I value connection and I know this person values speed. That makes sense that we're in this like competing commitment right now um, because we have very different values that are just in conflict. And so that was able, it helped me reduce the heat and the blaming and the frustration with the person to sort of see, see what was between us. Um, and the reason I say that it depends to get curious about someone is because I believe that curiosity isn't a prescription. I think it's an invitation, right? There are some situations where I wouldn't ask somebody to get curious. If somebody has experienced some kind of harassment or abuse or aggression, I'm not going to say, hey, let's get curious about the person who just like caused psychological harm to you, right? Yeah, tell me about that gaslight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let's gaslight ourselves now. Um, and then and then when possible, like if we find that our curiosity hits the wall, have a conversation. And I think that one of the traps we fall into is because we're so, you know, we have the adrenaline, we have the stress responses that we we go into it, assuming it's going to be a confrontation. And for me, it's always how do I keep making this a conversation? Right. How do I approach this from the lens of asking questions? Um but also there are times when we have to be firm and we have to be clear and we have to set boundaries and we have to draw lines. And so if you find yourself needing to have the conversation, one of the practices that's really, really helpful is to spend some time ahead of time going, what's the impact I'm, I'm hoping to make on this relationship? What am I hoping to make on the other person? Maybe it's what am I hoping to make on myself? And then depending on that, then who do I need to be and what do I need to do? And just like a quick example of this, right? Um, again, I mentioned that um, sometimes it's easy for me to avoid, which means I can maybe not always advocate for myself. And so if, if I'm going into a conversation, I go, you know, the impact I want to make is I want to be really clear about my boundary. Then who I need to be is more courageous than I might be. I need to be more direct than I might normally be. Um, and so that that's going to anchor me and give me a little little bit more comfort. But the final thing I'll say is, People are always wanting this. Is like the number one thing we get asked is like, when does like how do we get make it easy? I want it to be easy to have these conversations. I want it. To, I don't want to be uncomfortable. And it's like it might always be a little uncomfortable, right? But it's like how can we make it safe to have those conversations? Because if there's something on the line, that sh there should be a risk there, right? Yeah, they might not be easy, but I guess with more constructive confrontation, it can be easier. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I always say. Practice makes it 
like it won't be easy, but it will get easier, uh -huh. right? And you start to develop more skills to move in the moment, right? And to adjust. The last thing that I'll say that I feel like we don't talk enough about in navigating conversations of conflict, you know, obviously we can go into like, how do we regulate our emotions? How do we hold steady? How do we, right? I don't think we talk enough about recovery afterwards. You know, like if I know I'm going into a tough conversation with you, Joe, I'm I'm just thinking about the conversation and I'm not even thinking about the fact that, oh, I'm going to have huge hormonal like stress response crashes afterwards. So what do I need to do to make sure that I'm recovering effectively from that? There's really interesting research on the the power and the peril of being a high empathy feedback giver, mm. something that's really important to me. And one of the, one of the, casualties, I guess, of being a highly empathetic person is that you experience the negative consequences of that negative feedback that you shared mm. much more personally and deeply. And, mm. and the point you made about recovery time and, and time to decompress and recalibrate is super important. It comes out very strongly in that research. Mm. Such a great point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we can naturally intuit the costs <laughs> of avoidance, right? If you, if you don't, if you don't talk it out, you act it out, things get bigger, they don't get smaller, they don't go away mm -hmm. by themselves. Yeah. But but when when is avoidance a good thing? You know, I I I I love that you asked this because one of the ways I think about avoidance is through the lens of sort of three ways. Like we can be aggressively avoidant, right? Like I'm throwing the grenade and I'm leaving. And we can be fearfully avoidant, which is what my book uh, tackles quite a bit on and what I'm really passionate about. Um, but then there's times when I think it's appropriate to be consciously avoidant, right? Like, and I think that those are those are moments where it's up to the individual person, but is the situation really safe, right? Like, is this a safe situation for me to speak up? Is the cost worth it, right? Um, do I have the bandwidth? You know, there are times when I might go, this just isn't worth it right now. I am focusing all my energy on taking care of a sick parent. And this is just not the battle I'm going to choose. Now, the thing that I will say, though, is that I always, if somebody is going to make the choice to not engage, I want them to come from a place of power within versus feeling powerless, right? Feeling powerless is like, oh, I can't do it. It is what it is, it, right? There's resentment, there's resignation. But, but assessing the situation and going, you know what? Not today. Like, that's just not, not where I'm going to put my energy. Or sometimes you might go, that person just isn't worth it to me. They're not somebody in my circle. They're not in my orbit, right? It's a you know Twitter feud or whatever. And you just go, not, it's not worth it. But I want that to come from a place of choice. And then also if it's somebody you're working with, for example, or maybe it's someone in your family, how can we come from a place of acceptance, right? Of, of acceptance of, you know what? This is where we're at. This is who they are. I can't control them. I can control me. I'm going to continue to show up in ways that are true to my integrity, my values. And um, because sometimes what can happen is that, you know, resentment can feed in or resignation, right? And that resignation can make us feel powerless. So there absolutely are times when it's appropriate for us to say, I'm not going to, I'm going to choose not to. It's not that I can't, I'm choosing not to, or I won't have this conversation right now because of the circumstances. One of the things that really struck me in the book is the distinction that you made between the language of observation and invitation mm -hmm. and the language of accusation and confrontation. Mm -hmm. So our, our words shape our world. You bet they do. Tell us more about that. 
Yeah. I mean, our, our words create our reality. I mean, you can get into the biology of it, that the language we use can elicit an emotional response in ourselves and others. You know, here's a really simple example that I'll use is, you know, me saying, hey, Joe, you know what? I've failed three times, right? I have definitely have failed before. But if I change that to I'm a failure, mm. that hits very differently. It is all just words, right? The other thing that I want to add to that is our questions are fateful, right? And this is, I love this. This comes from the work of appreciative inquiry, but the types of questions we ask are fateful. They, 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 they change. We change the minute we ask questions. So how do we be really thoughtful about the questions? And it's, and it's hard because when we feel hurt or harmed and we're in that protection mode, um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel that. I want to be really, really clear and honoring, you know, your experience is your experience. Um, but but really noticing that when we are in that place of protection, we're definitely not showing up as our best selves. And I might be in that place of protection. And again, like if I can shift to advocacy, that's a much more powerful position than like adversary, right? Like if I can advocate for myself, if I can advocate for someone else versus being adversarial, that's going to be much more, that, that can be more powerful depending on the situation. But I think we don't spend enough time understanding how important our words are. And, and I love, and I, and I, the idea of an invitation, it's amazing what can happen, um, you know, when you say, hey, would you be open to talking about this? Most people will say, sure, yeah. And if you say, this is this is hard for me, actually, to share, I really value our relationship. Um, and I have to share this with you. This is what I'm struggling with right now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just continuing to do that work. And it's hard because we're not, you know, most of us aren't trained in how to do that. And we're on autopilot most of the time. And most of our autopilot sucks because it's coming from a survival you know, mode or like lessons we learned when we were 10. <laughs> yeah. And and passing on the models that have been handed to us about how to manage exactly. and engage conflict. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wasn't the first avoider in my family. Let's be clear. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love my family a, and um, a few thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Generations. <laughs> exactly. So, so to that point, staying curious, which is really at the heart, I, mm. I think, of this model, is not necessarily a natural setting for most people. Mm -mm. So how, how can we sustain that sense of curiosity, especially when we may lack the energy or interest to keep yeah. questioning? Yeah. I You know, it's easy to be curious when things are fun and exciting. It's harder to be curious when it's hard, and it's hard to be curious when it's about ourselves and we need to be hard about ourselves. For me, for me, what I stay anchored in is this belief that there's always things I don't know. There's always things I don't know about you. There are always things I don't, there's things I don't know about me. There are things I don't know about this situation. And, and I also just want to name that um, curiosity is a privilege, right? If, if I'm somebody who is, uh, you know, in full survival mode, um, whether it's my living condition, economic conditions, right? It's really hard to be curious because you're just in that survival mode. If I'm somebody who's experienced trauma, my brain can struggle with that more. So I just want to name that, that, that it can be a struggle for folks for lots of other reasons, but it is a muscle we can build. And, and one of the ways that I, I try to push myself and push the leaders we work with and push other people is how do we get courageously curious? How do we get curious? And, and what that looks like is, what am I doing or not doing that's getting in the way? Or if somebody gives me feedback, when I think of times when people have given me really tough feedback, I try to ask myself, so how might that be true? Mm. Right? Instead of like, oh, no, there's no way I've done that. I'm a good person and I would never do that. To but how might it be true? 
because again, there's always things I don't know. And the other, and, and if I can tell just this beautiful, beautiful story, um, my sister, my sister and her family were, um, uh, visiting the Holocaust museum in Washington, DC. She was wearing one of our chronically curious shirts and they happened to be, uh, sitting in, a, uh, an event where a survivor of concentration camp, he was speaking and afterwards they got to meet him. And he said, Oh, I really like your shirt. And she's telling her, telling him about the work we do. And he said this, and it's just so like, it'll make me a little misty even every time I think about it. He goes, curiosity is the greatest gift we can give someone because we're telling them they are worthy to be known. And there's just something really beautiful about that. That's a powerful statement. And it's making me even think that there's like a part to a companion to curiosity and that's humility. Mm. Right? The, the, the mm. power to acknowledge what you don't know and the courage to ask for advice or guidance on how yeah. to address it. Yeah, thanks for that. Absolutely. That's a powerful wish, Sarah Noel Wilson. <laughs> Just, <laughs> the book <you> know, <laughs> trying the to book. reduce the suffering. <laughs> this is good. Well, I'm gonna stay curious about this conversation for a while. The book is Don't Feed the Elephants and the author is Sarah Noel Wilson. There, Sarah, thank you for sharing your wish with us today. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.